Well, good morning. How is everybody? Awesome. Awesome. Hey, I want to welcome both of our campuses here today. If you're new to Southcrest at our Noonan campus or at our LaGrange campus, some of you go, what's going on? We are actually live right now between two campuses. Every Sunday, we're a multi-site church. And so every Sunday at 930 and now hopefully at 11, we're going to be live. And so we're so excited. As this room is filled this morning, we have a couple hundred people at the LaGrange 10 Theater, part of our, our LaGrange campus. I want all of us together to welcome each other. So would you put your hands together? That is awesome. We got folks in Overflow today. We got folks in here. We got folks in LaGrange. It is just phenomenal. I am so glad that you're here. And I want to let you know, I'm going to do just a really quick shameless promotion for our church, okay? Uh, April 19th, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag because some of you thought that there was a cat in the bag, okay? I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. On April 19th, we are celebrating our 15th birthday as a church. Isn't that cool? I mean, think about it. 15 years. On Sunday, April the 19th, we're going to load this place with food trucks at both of our campuses. We're bringing in inflatables for kids, and we're calling it our 15-year birthday bash of Southcrest. So I hope you come back for that. It's going to be an awesome, awesome Sunday. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, okay? We're going to be in John, the end of 20, and the first part of chapter 21, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? I love the book of John. I don't know why I love the book of John. I think it's because John was the disciple whom Jesus loved the most. But we've been in this series uh, called The Road to Pardon. And if you've missed a couple of the weeks, let me kind of bring you back up to speed with where we are. Week one, we talked about how Jesus came to the place of the Lord's Supper, and he knew, he told his followers, he said, hey, listen, guys, what I'm about to do is going to change the world, but before I leave, we're going to take this supper together, but one of you in this room, you're going to betray me. And we know who it was, right? It was Judas. Judas came to him, and and he knew that Judas was near Jesus, but he had never been changed by Jesus. So the Bible tells us that Jesus, even though he knew who Judas was, he broke the bread, and he took a morsel, and he handed it to Judas one more time to say, Judas, I love you. I care about you. I know who you are, Judas. I know what you've done. I even know what you're capable of doing. And I still want you. It's an amazing moment in Scripture. Week two, we talked about how Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he did, there was a huge decision that he had to make that would forever pave our pardon. So Jesus decided there that he had a decision. And here was the decision. I'm going to have to drink the wrath of God to set these people free. So the Bible tells us in the garden that Jesus made the decision and he said, I'll drink that cup. He looked at us, he looked at humanity and he said, I love you, I'm willing to die for you. And then last week, we talked about the cross. We talked about how Jesus went to the cross and and when he went to the cross, he did it to finish what you and I could never ever finalize. And that is he forever settled the score with sin. He forever settled the score of our sin problem. And when Jesus hung and 
he died on that cross, here's what he was doing. He was forever removing the word failure that was written over our life, and he replaced it with the word finished. Finished. You know, it's amazing, this whole series, it's, it's brought back a lot of thoughts about a lot of different things that I've heard and I've experienced over Easter. Now, let me say this. Easter's just one of those holidays, it's hard to really get your arms around. I mean, we do a lot of interesting things around the Easter holiday. For instance, we color eggs. Yeah. I remember growing up, my parents would come in and they would bring this little kit and they would throw these little pills of, of dye into the water and they say, hey kids, come here, we've hard-boiled some eggs and we're going to dip these things in and, and we would dip the eggs in and we would color the eggs and if you were really cool, you got one of those kits where you got eggs, colors, and stickers, right? And you would make multicolor things and then my parents would take us out back with hard-boiled eggs and they would hide them in the hot Oklahoma sun, and we would hunt eggs for a couple hours. The only problem is we would miss about six to eight, ten of those eggs. And on about Tuesday, the whole backyard smelled. It was bad. So what did we do? I mean, I was the youngest of five kids. I had to keep alive. We would get into Easter egg fights. That's what you do on Easter. You kill your brother in Jesus' name. Take him out. Hey, come here. Wham! Okay, I'm going to show you he's alive. Okay. And so um, Easter's just one of those holidays. It's really weird. I mean, think about it. We have a little thing that you get in a package that's made of pure sugar and pure marshmallow. We call it a peep. Hey, you want some of my peeps? Now, here's what's weird. When I was growing up, there was only one kind of peep. Like you came home and you're like, hey, I think I want to coat out on some sugar here. So I'm going to eat these four peeps. And then I'm going to fall asleep. But now we have peeps of all different shapes and flavors. Like last night, my wife Tracy, she came in and she had a bag full of peeps. Because every year it's a tradition in our home, we buy these for our son. But now we don't just have the yellow peeps. Now we have the watermelon flavored peeps. We have the Coca-Cola flavored peeps. We've got bubblegum. We have birthday cake peeps at our house. Okay? And then there's this... This one's, I don't quite get this one. There was a peep we pulled out last night. It's like mystery peep. Okay, if you wonder where all the waste is going in America, they're putting it in the peeps, all right? Easter's a weird holiday. I mean, we, we do a lot. I mean, we get together with our family, right? And we all know that's a joyous occasion. <laughs> we all have that aunt and uncle. We're like, I hope they don't make it for Easter this year, Okay. Maybe I should spike their GPS. Maybe they'll get lost, all right? <laughs> we have foods that we bring. There's certain things that we absolutely love to eat on Easter. For most of us in the South, it is barbecue, all right? We've had so much soup, we're about to die. I mean, we're floating from chicken noodle. So we come out to Easter, and we're like, fire up the grill. Bring out the smoker. Some of you say, listen, Easter's for real. I have a green egg in my backyard, okay? It's for real, Barbecue, we have foods, we have things that we love. And I've never figured this one out, but if you ever noticed, when I was growing up, now it's probably something different, but every Easter, around 7 or 8 o'clock, after all the egg throwing was over and all the family had gone, all the food was over, my mom would bring us in and she would get us, like, you know, dressed for bed and everything. And around 7 or 8 o'clock, they would play the sound of music. <laughs> I don't get that. What in the world does the sound of music have to do with Easter? <laughs> I mean, now, like, I turned on the other day, and they're showing Elf this weekend. 
It's Easter. Christmas is months away. So I was flipping from Elf the other day, and Tracy said, hey, just hang around because the Wizard of Oz is about to come on. (laughs) What? I don't get it. Like, there's parts about Easter I don't get because the truth is bunnies really don't lay eggs. And eggs don't have candy in them. And yet we do all of these things because we're trying to bring some interpretation and to some meaning to what Easter is all about. And truthfully, when we come to church, we kind of do the same thing. Like, we've come to celebrate a tomb that is empty. Think about that. We've come to celebrate a tomb that's empty. And for most people... Like, they come to church and they're like, hey, man, I'm coming because we're going to sing about that empty tomb. And that, that's a, that is a really big deal because that probably means that there's hope for my life. And that's true. But I want to make this statement this morning. We often come to Easter to celebrate an empty tomb, but we often leave with an empty life. You see, even when I was growing up, like, The times that I would go to church, because I didn't go to church a whole lot, but when we went, we would walk in and they would be singing, he is alive, he is risen, he is alive, he is risen. And I would walk out the door from the Easter service and I would say, I'm no different, I'm not changed, there's nothing different about me. I've walked in and heard about an empty tomb, but I walked away and I still had a completely empty life. What difference does it make? Why is there all the hype about Easter? There's got to be more. In fact, the thing is, for most of us, we don't realize we think the empty tomb is the end of the story. If we were to survey us today and say, hey, what happened when Jesus died? Every one of us in the room would say, they put him in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose again. Let's all go home now. And we would stop right there. But here's the thing. When we look at the empty tomb and then we look back at our life, we think that's the end of the story too. Because we look at our life and we say, I see an empty tomb, but I look in the mirror and I see a completely empty life. And somehow they don't always measure up. That's where Jesus finds us, sitting in an Easter service, thinking about an empty tomb, saying, how could this change my life? You know, all four Gospels tell us the story of Jesus dying on a cross for our sins. And all of them tell us that when Jesus died, that he was literally like, taken off of the cross and and he was put in a tomb. In fact, we know that that two men got him off of the cross. There was a guy named Joseph of Arimathea who was a very wealthy man. And then there was a guy named Nicodemus. And if you know Nicodemus, if you go back to John 3, he was the one that came to Jesus in the middle of the night saying, Jesus, is there any way for me to be changed? Like this whole born again thing, like is it for real? But the Bible tells us in the Gospels that these two men, they took his body off of the cross and they wanted to give him a proper burial. And so what did they do? They put him in this tomb and they rolled the stone in front of the tomb and they sealed that tomb because they didn't want to make sure, the Romans wanted to make sure, hey, listen, nobody's going to come steal Jesus because this guy has created so much trouble and he's changed our culture so much. We got to make sure that this thing is over. 
we know from reading the scriptures that they even posted Roman guards at the tomb. And between Friday and that Sunday, three days later, we know that five different women went to go visit that tomb to ask the question, is Jesus in there or is it empty? But one of those came on Sunday morning. Her name was Mary Magdalene. She was with Jesus at the moment when they literally took all this perfume and broke it at his feet and and they were wiping their hair with, I mean, wiping Jesus' feet with their hair. And, and it was a crazy moment because it's like, what an incredible moment of worship. But Mary shows up on Sunday morning and suddenly the stone has been rolled back and she walks in and she finds an empty tomb. John 20 tells us that when that happens, that Mary started running back to where the disciples were. She ran all of the way, and when she got to where the disciples were, she hollered out to Peter and to all those people around, hey, listen, somebody stole Jesus. So the Bible tells us that Peter and the disciples took off running. Now, I love how descriptive Scripture is because the book of John tells us that when they took off running, that John ran ahead of Peter. In other words, he was faster than Peter. Okay, I'm going to draw a little conclusion here. Some of you asked me, said, Sean, you're a runner. Like, that's crazy. Why would you run all those miles? Listen, reason number 641 to become a runner. You get to the empty tomb quicker. So John runs ahead of Peter. And he gets to the tomb and he looks in and he sees the burial cloth laying there. And Peter comes in behind him and he pushes him out of the way. And he sees that Jesus is not there. And so he and the disciples immediately turn around and they go back to where they came from. What was going through their mind? Hey, empty tomb. The Bible tells us that when John saw this, he believed. What did he believe? He believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead. But Mary Magdalene, she stood outside the tomb. And as she stood outside the tomb, she was crying. She looks back in the tomb and she sees two angels, one at the head and one at the foot of where Jesus lay. And she's crying. It's gone. Now let me ask you a question. Was the tomb empty? Yeah. Why is she crying? Good question. She turns back around from the two men that were in the tomb, and suddenly she sees Jesus right in front of her, but the Bible tells us she didn't know it was Jesus. And she's crying, and she's weeping. And in verse 15 of John chapter 20, listen to what Jesus asked her. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? You know, I think sometimes we come to Easter... And we come to an empty tomb, and we ask the same question. Why am I here? What am I looking for? And where is Jesus? Where is he? Where is he gone? John 21, if you get to the end of John 20, tells us that the disciples, when they realized the tomb was empty, they went back... And started fishing again. You remember when Jesus found them? 
Luke chapter 5, he found them beside the, the sea and they were sitting there fishing. And Jesus said, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they began to follow Jesus and their life was changed. Well, at the moment that they got to an empty tomb, they left an empty tomb and they went back to what was familiar to them. They went back. You see, I think this is true of all of our lives. When our hope gets dashed in life, we have a tendency to go backwards. We want to go back to something that's familiar, something that feels right, something that brings what we think is a sense of security to our lives. We know that from the first part of John chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, they got back to the Sea of Galilee, and Peter calls out to the disciples and says, Hey guys, let's go fish. Let's go back. Listen, some of you, you've come to Easter and you're like, hey, I'm going to go back. I'm going to give this thing a try one more time. I want to tell you, this is the moment I think forever changed their life. I think the empty tomb brought us hope, but I think what Jesus did in this moment in Scripture forever changed their lives. Here's what we know. When Jesus appears to Peter and he appears to his disciples in John 21, he forever changed their purpose. Look at verse 4 of John 21. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. So they're out there fishing, right? They're back to what's familiar. They had gone back. Empty tomb, but they had gone back to fish. Jesus comes and he stands on the shore But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus, and he called out to them. Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, who is that? That's John. John was referring to himself. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. He recognizes him. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. I just want to say, (laughs) that was a pure Forrest Gump moment for me right there in scripture, okay? If you don't get the picture of it, they're out here fishing All of a sudden, Jesus says, throw it over. There's going to be fish. Jesus is at the shore. The moment that they start to catch the fish, John catches Jesus, and he looks at the shore, and he says, hey, there's Jesus. He's here. He's back. (laughs) Peter gets all excited, and he just jumps out of the boat. Woo! Woo! Here I come, Jesus. (laughs) No need to walk on water, because I've been training. I'm going to swim in. Okay? The Bible says in this moment, it says the other disciples followed him in the boat, verse 8, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish. 153. But even with so many, the net was not broken. It was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? 
They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came back and he took the bread and he gave it to them and did the same with the fish. See, here's the moment. They had been to an empty tomb and still they left with an empty life. They went back to what was familiar. They went backwards. But in this moment, Jesus forever changed their life. Why? Because the Bible says he said, hey guys, I want you to come over here and I want you and I to have breakfast together. And they knew it was the Lord. Now here's the cool thing. The disciples realized for the first time, Jesus is back. Jesus is really alive. And it's forever different. It's not the same. There's no more talk about hanging on a cross. He defeated that. There's no more talk about all the things in life that, that, that we want to make of our lives. He just said, hey, I want you to come and I want you to have breakfast with me. What did Jesus do? He, he fed them and he filled them. And I think that moment was when the resurrection and the power of the pardon was forever imputed to their life. We will never be the same. Jesus is back. And the power to fully embrace the pardon was in the resurrection, not in an empty tomb. You see, here's what I know. I think Jesus wants to fill you. I know Jesus wants to fill me. From the time that I've met him, that's been the story of my life. Jesus wants to fill you. He doesn't want you to remain empty in your life. He wants to fill you so that you can understand the power that comes with living a life of pardon. It's more than just opening up the jail cell and saying, hey, why don't you come out because, you know, I've set you free. It's this idea that suddenly there's the power to walk out and never walk back. He changed their purpose. Here's what we know is true. Over 40 days after Jesus came out of the grave, he walked around and people saw Jesus before he ascended to be with the Father. Over 40 days. Some of you go, I never knew that. It's in the Bible. Read it. It actually tells us that like for 40 days, Jesus walked this earth waiting to go to be with the Father. The power of the resurrection was realized when Jesus appeared and he began changing people's lives. Not in going back to an empty tomb and saying, well, I guess there's hope. Oh, there was more than hope. You see, here's why this is so important for us. If you have a pen, I just want to tell you three things of why this resurrection is important to us today. First of all, this. The empty tomb gives me the power to walk away from an empty life. That's what it does. You know, when I gave my life to Jesus... My friends in high school pretty much thought that like I had been captivated by a cult. They were like, what happened to you? Suddenly you're different. Here's what happened. The resurrection in the empty tomb gave me the power to walk away from an empty life. When I was a senior in high school, they gave out class prophecies. We had about 80 in our graduating class. 
And they would look at every graduate and say, 20 years from now, you're going to be doing this. So like I gave my life to Jesus and Jesus changed my life and all of a sudden all of my purpose changed and I, I had the power to walk away from an empty life. And so my friends for my class prophecy as a senior, here's, here's what they prophesied about me. In 20 years, Sean will be smuggling Bibles into China. So I'm looking at the camera today. Hey, class of 88, I'm doing better than that. I'm smuggling Jesus into Georgia. Woo! I'm rocking the ATL, baby. Because the power of the empty tomb gives me the power to walk away from an empty life. Some of you have come in this room and you feel like everything you fill your life with leaves you more and more empty. But I want to tell you there's good news because here's what happened. This, the cross, gave us the paperwork of our pardon. It was like God wrote it out and said, here's the bill of sale. It's paid in good. I've settled the score forever. You never have to do this again. I'm going to do it for you because it is finished. Okay, four syllables. Uh, He looks at us and he says, here's the paperwork. But I want to tell you, the power of the pardon is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power of the pardon is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The empty tomb allows me to walk away from an empty life. And you know what? It does the same for you. It does the same. Jesus was saying, I'm just not going to leave you with an empty tomb. I'm going to bring you to myself and I'm going to feed you and I'm going to forever change your purpose. You know what else the resurrection does? It reminds us that Jesus doesn't want to church us. He wants to change us. Jesus doesn't want to church you. He wants to change you. The Bible says he didn't meet the guys back in the temple. He met them on the shore. And he changed them where they were, back in their old life. He went back to the place where they had spent years fishing And he sat down with them and he had breakfast because here's the truth. Most of us, when we come to Easter, here's what we think the motive is. Hey, they want me to start coming back and they want to church me. No, here's the thing, folks. The power of the resurrection means Jesus doesn't want to church you. It means Jesus wants to change you. And the potential of my life and your life forever being changed is pretty amazing. See, here's what I think is true. What is the point of seeing Jesus in his appearing if you never allow him to change you? Why did Jesus appear for 40 days? Is it because he had to sew up a few loose ends before he went to heaven? No, I think he wanted to point us to where the real life change was. It was in the power of the resurrection. And it wasn't about being churched. It was about being changed. So here's what we do with Easter. We come to Easter, and whether we realize it or not, because I did this in my life too, we come with this eager desire to be new. Here's how I know that, okay? Some of us, I know I've done this. I mean, I remember my mom said, hey, we're going down to the store and we're gonna pick you out some clothes because we're all going to Easter together. (gasps) Okay, you say that to an 11-year-old boy, he'll scratch his eyes out. But here's what I know. Why do we buy new clothes for Easter? You ever thought about that? Is it because your Kohl's cash is running out? 
Really? I mean, they'll give you some more. I mean, they're going to mark it up 60, so you only have to pay 40 above, right? You know why we do, you know why we buy new clothes for Easter? We all want to feel like we have been made new. Every person. We all want to feel like we've been made new. I mean, it's the same reason why August 1 every year, my mom would call me in from the, the hot August sun and she'd say, hey, we're going to go down to Penny's and we're going to put you in some new jeans and some new shirts and you're going to get some Superfly Jordans and you're going to show up the second week of class. And here's the thing, I never showed up the first day of school wearing what I wore in May. I showed up in something new. Why? Because I had a desire for everyone to see how I had what? Changed. Jesus doesn't want to church you. He wants to change you. And when he changes you, he gives you the power to be made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The power of the resurrection forever reminds us Jesus doesn't want to church us. He wants to change us. Now, I'm going to flip that back a little bit, okay? Some of you all your life, you think that the goal of Christianity is to be churched. And you even get your self-worth out of how much you attend church. But I want to tell you, the power of the resurrection is not about how churched you are. It's about how changed you are. Jesus wants to change you just like he wanted to change me. You know, there's a moment where Jesus sat there and he had breakfast with them and these disciples are sitting around there. There were probably eight to 10 according to the scriptures. But there was one particularly that Jesus got real personal with. His name was Peter. We know what Peter did, he denied Christ. Even when Jesus said, hey, don't go there because you're going to deny me. And Peter went there anyway. But they're sitting around the circle having breakfast. And, and he looks at Peter and he asks Peter a very telling question. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Jesus. Then feed my lambs. He asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Jesus, I love you. I mean, I'm all about you, Jesus. I mean, you know, I jumped in the water and swam 100 yards for you, Jesus. I mean, I'm up here. Like, we're hanging out. He asked him a third time. He said, Peter, do you really love me? And Peter looks back at him and says, Lord, you know all things. He said, feed my lambs. Because Peter, if you really love me, You're going to give up your life for me. He said, in fact, they're going to take you to a place where they're literally going to end your life because of me. But here's the third reason why the resurrection is so relevant to you and I today. In verse 19, Jesus said this phrase that forever changed Peter's life. It says, then he said to him, Follow me. Here's what he was saying. The power of the resurrection is not in finding Jesus. 
It's in following Jesus. Do you see that moment? Do you see that? I mean, it got real personal. And here's the truth today. Wherever you are in your life, Jesus probably wants to get real personal with you because he gets real personal with me about this stuff all the time. Sean, I know what other people are doing. I know what this, I I get all that. But here's the one question. Are you more excited about just finding me because he appeared to all these people over 40 days? Or are you really understanding that the power of the resurrection is in following me? He looked at him. And he said, Peter, follow me. Now here's the truth. No matter what we came for today, it really doesn't matter. God brought us all here today. I mean, we're here collectively today, both of our campuses. We're sitting in these rooms together today. And there's really one question about Easter that's bigger than an empty tomb and who came out of it. Because now, it all comes down to this question. Will I leave Easter changed by Jesus? That's really what it comes down to. Will I leave Easter changed by Jesus? I want you to hear this. All four weeks of this series, we've talked about every piece of the road that Jesus paved of our part. He invited us. He decided about us. He went to the cross and he finished it for us. You know, I look at it and I I look at it this way. This road to pardon, Jesus paved it for you. He paved every inch, every part, every mile. He did it for you. He did it for me. He, He paved every inch every mile but here's what he did he left one step for you and me follow me would you bow your heads at both of our campuses today I'm going to ask that please nobody leave in just the next few moments this is a very important moment among both of our campuses today you see here's what I believe I believe that The power of a changed life comes from the resurrection. It doesn't come from us trying to purchase our own pardon. It never did and it never will. But Jesus paved every single inch and every single mile of the road to pardon. Why? Because he was waiting for you and I to take one last step. Follow me. At both of our campuses, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, If today, on this Easter Sunday, you have never completely followed Jesus. Let me give you an explanation of what that means. That means that you've come to a point or a place in your life that you've placed all your faith and all your trust in Him. Like, you've let Jesus change you, not just church you, like He has changed you. Can you say that there's been a time, a moment, a place where that has happened to you? Because if it hasn't, then today you have this amazing opportunity to take one amazing step on the road to pardon. And here's the step. Follow Jesus. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed at LaGrange and here at Noonan, if today, for the very first time, you want to make that decision, I want to lead you through a very simple prayer. Would you pray this with me today if this is the desire of your heart? Just say, dear God, 
thank you for bringing me here today. I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that on the third day he rose again. Lord, I'm lost. And I can't find my way apart from you. Jesus, would you come into my life, come into my heart and be my Lord and be my Savior. I give you my life, Jesus. I want you to change me. I place all my faith and all my trust in you, Jesus, today. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed at both of our campuses today, I want to call out to you today, if you prayed that prayer with me and you meant it, and for the very first time you allowed Jesus to do more than church you, you allowed Jesus to change you, and today you are made new through that decision, I want you to throw your hand up in the air. Would you do that today? As a sign of faith, saying, today, I give my life to Christ. I'm not ashamed. I'm not worried about what that looks like. I want you to raise your hand right now. Hold it up high. Praise God. Hold it up. Don't be ashamed. Listen, we've had several this weekend who for the first time allowed Jesus to change them. They were made new in Christ at both of our campuses, LaGrange and Noonan. I want to ask you to just hold your hand up. Listen, some of you are here and you're afraid that if you raise your hand, someone's going to come church you. Listen, we don't want to church you. We want to let Jesus change you. If you're here today, hold up your hand and you prayed that prayer. Go ahead. In fact, I invite you today as a sign of faith, as a sign of acknowledgement to say that today I'm placing all my faith in Christ. If you did that today, would you hold up your hand for the very first time? Hold it up high. Don't put it down. Hold it up. Anybody else? I invite you today to let the world know, to let Jesus know, Jesus, that's what I did. I trusted you. I gave you my life. Just hold your hand up. Listen, some of you in this room, you've made everything in your life about coming and celebrating an empty tomb. And although that may bring you hope, Jesus wants more for you because the power of the resurrection is not in finding Jesus, it's in following Jesus. Lord, thank you today for the life change that happened in this room today. Lord, there are two, three, five people, I don't know, for the very first time they gave their life to you. Lord, there are people on our Grange campus today who for the very first time connected the dots. It's not about religion. It's not about all the other things that we want to make Easter about, Lord. It's really just about knowing you. Lord, I pray that today you would give them the courage to tell a friend, a family member, a co-worker, to let somebody know that today Jesus forever changed their life. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.